Well, we're going to continue in our series today. We're calling it United, and this is the fourth part in our series. You're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today, page 731 in those red Bibles, if that's, uh, if that's what you're using today, and you can find that. We're talking about being reconciled. Reconciled. Eight years ago, when uh, my family moved to Fresno, Becky and I put a, a down payment on a house, the one where we live now, and we picked out the lot and the plan and the few of the available options on the house and we waited and we watched and five months later we moved in into our house in our neighborhood it took a couple more years for the builder to finish the subdivision and uh, but i noticed a peculiar attitude in my heart as uh, as homes were completed and occupied of course and then foreclosed and then reoccupied that's another story right i felt like each new resident was invading my neighborhood and my street. I was there first, so it was mine. It's human nature, isn't it? Um, I think you had a little picture there of our house going up. It's human nature. I've noticed that any time we're the first to something, it feels like ours, even though we couldn't possibly own it. It might be a spot on the beach or a table at the lunchroom. It might be a lane on the highway. Right? But we feel ownership. Get out of my lane! Right? And when we get to something before others, we own it. And we may or may not find it easy to share what we own. And the same thing can happen at church. We're all creatures of habit. We tend to park in the same spot. Right? Sit in the same seat each week. Uh, Last week was Pastor Stephen's first Sunday here and he... We had a little conversation before the service, wondering where would be a good place for him to sit so that he didn't take someone else's seat. (laughs) And you think it's funny, but I've seen what happens to some of you when someone's in your seat. Right? Now, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Ephesus, he addressed this problem of ownership, of insiders and outsiders, of who got there first. See, salvation in Jesus overcame a very real distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Very hard for us to grasp the the depth of that division between Jews and Gentiles. But salvation in Jesus overcame that. Jews were spiritual insiders with God. They got the, the good news. They got the message first. Jesus came from the Jewish people, right? They got there first and the Gentiles came later. And some of the newly saved Jews, I think, were having a hard time accepting the Gentiles as they were. And some of the Gentiles were having a hard time sort of fitting in with the Jews. The exact same thing happens today all the time in churches. um, You know, those of us with some history might struggle with a feeling of ownership. Maybe some possessiveness about the church and, and even possessiveness about our very faith. It's ours. We, we feel it's ours and we want things to stay the way they are. In fact, we want things to stay the same because it feels comfortable and stable and, dare I say, powerful. And so we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2 and look at this, this switch that happened where the divided parts were unified. All across our nation today, there's divisions like never before, particularly in ethnic ways but also in social, economic, all kinds of things. We're, we're just more and more divided. And the gospel meant to bring things together. So will you, uh, if you've got Ephesians chapter 2, um, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. 
starting at verse 11, carrying on from last week, uh, starting at verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes this. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. There's that phrase we've been coming to again and again in Ephesians, meaning in literally in Christ. You are in Christ, united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Verse 16. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Verse 19. So, now you Gentiles are no longer strangers. And foreigners, you are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. In verse 21, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Amen. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. Insiders and outsiders. One of the things that will make you feel like an outsider is hopelessness. Hopelessness. The Apostle Paul found it important to remind these believers that they had been outsiders to the gospel because they were Gentiles just by by their ethnic background. They were excluded from a relationship with God, as he says in verse 12, you lived in this world without God and without hope. Now, why the need to remind them of this? I think because once you're here's why, because once you're in. It's easy to forget about those who are out. And it's easy to forget an outsider's hopelessness. So Paul reminds them, we've got this one on the screen. Paul reminds them this. You lived without hope, but now, remember last week we had those two little words, but God, we talked about our sinfulness and that said, but God in his mercy, there's that but word again. You live without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Now you have been brought near to God through the blood of Christ. You lived without hope, but God. I'm going to ask you a simple question. Do you have hope? Do you have hope? See, life without Christ is hopeless. Now, I don't mean horrible. I don't mean it's a terrible life. Life apart from God can be wonderful and have plenty of awesome things going on. But it's ultimately hopeless because it lacks a destination. It lacks a a final 
resolution. And here he's saying hope is found in proximity to God. The nearer to God you are, that you move, the more hope you'll find. For the believer, our whole life is meant as a journey of moving closer and closer to God until we finally meet him face to face. That's why we have hope, because we know what's coming in the end. Hope is possible even when things are bleak, right? If your health is failing or your retirement account is worthless or your relationships are broken, hope is still a very real possibility. Because I'm not talking about optimism. Optimism is awesome. I love optimism. I love Joel Osteen, to be honest, because you can't watch that guy without just feeling like a million bucks. Although he would probably want your million bucks if you have them. But that's another point, right? I love what that guy does because it's just like, yeah, I can do anything. But that's optimism. What we're talking about here is hope. And God gives hope. And when you're an outsider, you need hope. And that's found in becoming one with Christ Jesus. Paul goes on in verse 14. He says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. For Christ himself has brought peace. See, the absence of peace can be a product of the outsider versus insider problem. Maybe you're in a conflicted relationship at work or at home or even at church. And the last thing you feel is peace right down in your gut. It creates turmoil inside of you. Either you feel like an outsider trying to fit in or you feel like or you feel like an outsider is threatening your comfort or stability or traditions. And in Paul's time, there was this great divide that we've talked about between Jews and Gentiles resulting then, as it does today, in conflict in sometimes even violence for them, right? And reinforcing that divide was the Jewish law. See, the Jews, um, the Jews' trust or confidence, I suppose, was in their religious system of rules and regulations, of doing things a certain way. And those who didn't follow it were outsiders. They were dogs. They were, they were Gentiles. But, Paul says there in verse 15, that Jesus ended the system of law, right? He did this by ending the system of law. Another translation says he annulled the law. See, Jesus kept the law perfectly. And because of that, he completed it. He had the authorization to say it's done. It's canceled and been replaced by a new law, the law of faith in Christ. So the result for those who trust in Jesus rather than rules is peace. Peace inside and peace between hostile parties. I could take examples from any religion, Jewish, Christian, Islamic, right? The result is always the same with rules, sometimes ending in conflict, sometimes in brutality. You've watched the news. You see what happens. It's frustrating because see, any group needs rules to organize, right? The unspoken rule right now is that you sit quietly and I do all the talking, right? That's that's kind of an unspoken rule, um, um, don't make me enforce it. Um, but you understand there have to be some spoken and unspoken rules for, for a society to get along, right? But religious law leads, always leads to division, turmoil, conflict, because it creates insiders and outsiders, right? The insiders say, we know how to behave, you don't. It's a problem. It cannot bring peace. So here's another simple question for you. Do you have peace? Paul talks about peace in here. Verses 14 and following says, Christ himself brought peace to us. He unites Jews and Gentiles. 
Real peace can never come by trying harder, doing more, right? Giving more, studying more, helping more. Peace is only possible by faith in Jesus Christ, apart from the law. Jesus elsewhere said, you can read about it in John 14, he said, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. It's a one-of-a-kind experience in Christ. And it's for all of us. Look again at verse 17 with me. I think we've got that one on the screen too. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Peace to the Gentiles far and peace to the Jews who are near. See, far and near, but you know what? Neither are in relationship. It doesn't matter. You know, you think about... Think about two tracks on a, of a train. They're pretty close together, but you know what? They'll never meet. They're parallel. They run. And some of us, you know, we've just run parallel to a relationship with God for years and years. We're close. Or we're not moving, we're not converging into a relationship with God. It, and that's, that was kind of the Jews. And the Gentiles were far. So whether you're near or whether you're far, right? We have to learn to let go. Some of, those, some of us who grew up around the Christian faith, some of us who grew up in church and so on, we have some of the hardest time of letting go of law and tradition and regulations and just learning to trust in Jesus for the peace he can give. It's hard for us. But it's the only way. To trust in Him. So, how can you really experience hope and peace? Well, hope and peace are secured in your new citizenship. Look at verse 19. He says, Now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Hope and peace are secured in your new citizenship. See, when you trust in Jesus for salvation, you take on a new identity. The previous passages, Paul had talked about adoption as a metaphor. Here, he has a new metaphor. He talks about citizenship, right? It's a hard word to say. (laughs) Former ethnic identities are pushed aside in a new identity. Your new citizenship is the source of... Of hope and peace. For example, why do you think people have been trying to get to America for the last 24 decades? Well, because this promise, this hope of citizenship. Citizenship, you know, meant some peace and some, some hope, at least in a human fashion. The American dream meant you could work hard and you could prosper safely and unhindered. I, I think it was one of the great strengths of America was that wherever you came from, you simply became an American. Without regard to your background. You became a citizen with all the privileges that that offers. Unfortunately, somewhere, and forgive me if I get a little political for a moment, but somewhere in the past few decades, we started putting up walls again based on origin, right? Asian American, Mexican American, African American. And sadly, I think that's actually created division rather than unity. And it's broken down some of the hope and some of the peace of citizenship. And I use that example because I just want to say we cannot let that happen in our faith. We cannot let that happen in the church. If you're a believer, your kingdom, your, your, your citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Your allegiance is to the king of kings, first and only. And yes, the Bible teaches us to be good citizens of, our, of the nation where we live, right? But national allegiance is a distant second 
to our allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. You're not an you know, American Christian. You're not a Mexican Christian. You're not a Canadian Christian. You're simply a believer. And when we divide on skin color or ethnic heritage or financial status, we break the heart of God. And we break down the hope and peace of the gospel. We tear down the message when we divide like that. I've got to remind you again, no one owns the faith. Not a Baptist, not a Pentecostal, not a Mennonite, not an evangelical free, not even the non-denominationals. No one owns the faith. No one owns the church. It's God's work and Jesus is the builder of the church. In fact, even though we're workers and we're servants in the kingdom of God, in this passage and elsewhere, the metaphor is really simple. We're not the, we're not the builders. We're the building material. We're not even the tradespeople. We're not even the cabinet maker. We're just a piece of wood. Look at verses 20 to the end again. He says, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. That's right up there. And through him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We could say it this way. You are a building block in God's expanding house. You're a building block in God's expanding house. It's not up to us to say how the building gets put together, or what color it's going to be, or how big it's going to be. We're just the building material. When we trust in Christ, we're built on Jesus, the cornerstone. We've talked about that before, how in the old times the cornerstone was the most important you know, item in the building because from the cornerstone, right, it made sure that the rest of the building would be level and square. That cornerstone had to be absolutely perfect. It didn't have to be beautiful, but it had to be perfect. And Scripture tells us that's Jesus. He's the cornerstone. He's also the master architect, the builder, but he is that very cornerstone of the church. The church is not ours, it's his. And we can safely say that it's his expanding house because he is, it says, he is building this temple. It's not yet complete. It's a work in progress. There are more to be added to this structure called the church. In the case of Bethany Church, along with Neighborhood Church down in Jackson, we too are surrounded by thousands. We're in a city, you know, with hundreds of thousands of people who do not know Jesus. I heard a statistic on Friday. I was told by the... um, Terry Townsend, he leads Hispanic Ministry People's Church. There's 250,000 uh, people in Fresno of Hispanic origin. He says, We're, we haven't even scratched the surface in reaching to our Spanish-speaking community. So, for the th- many thousands of people that don't know the Lord, it means we have the privilege of creating space and place in this church family, right? Even Bethany. For Jesus to add some more blocks to his holy temple. It's one of the reasons we're adding that second service in January. It's because Jesus has not finished his work. And we still want to find ways to grow. To create space and place. For the lost to meet Jesus. Verse 21 has been our theme verse for the year. And today's the first day I finally get to introduce it to you. We are carefully joined together in Him, 
becoming a holy temple for the Lord. A more literal translation would be something like the building being fitly joined together. Right? So being joined means it's ongoing. It grows. That's the word. Grows. Another, to organically. It's like a plant. It's not an object, but it's a living, breathing thing. Right? The building being fitly joined together grows into a holy sanctuary for the Lord. It's a living, breathing, active structure. Verse 22 goes on to say that this temple, that's you and me, this temple is the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. It's where the Holy Spirit lives. And it is a building with room for more. With room for diversity, with room for Jews and Gentiles and Mexicans and Europeans and Chinese and maybe even a few Canadians. Because in Christ, ethnic divisions are meaningless. Ethnic divisions in Christ are meaningless. When we're united in our kingdom citizenship, we will experience true hope, true peace, and be equipped to pass that on to others. We're going to kind of wrap up in a moment here, but I just kind of bring you back to where we started. I started talking about, you know, my neighborhood, right? And the ownership that I feel in my street. What I didn't point out is that that neighborhood was actually there before I arrived. And lots of people lived there before I got there. I didn't and I don't own it. And for the earlier residents, guess what? I was the intruder. I was the one coming in. I was the one blocking the view with a two-story house where it was just a flat piece of land before. Thankfully, I was allowed in anyway. And likewise, in our faith, we come to something that, that already existed and will be there when we're gone. You know that? Bethany Church was here. For a handful of you, you were here when it started. But God was not, didn't just show up for the first time like, oh, you guys have a church? It was here long before Bethany started. This place was here before I got, after I go. When they lay me to rest, God will still be at work. It's not going to look the same as it does today. We've come to something that's already existed in the faith, in the Christian faith. We are, to quote a song from the 70s, just another brick in the wall. The difference is that these walls are growing. They're living. They're breathing. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And every brick, regardless of color, regardless of shape, size, regardless of background, language, expertise, every brick matters. There's room for more. It's an expanding house that God is building. It's an expanding house. The house is not complete. God is building an expanding house and we're, we're materials in this expanding house. Let me just say a little very practical thing. Church, next week, we're going to have the, the Roundup Sunday. And I said this last week. It's kind of inconvenient. It's kind of a, kind of a bother. Right? It's going to be fun. I'm very grateful to the team that are going to make all that happen. But there are elements of it that are inconvenient. It's going to be a little hot. The seat might not be as comfortable. Right? But these are all steps that we're learning to say we want to be in God's expanding house. 
when a church grows, there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be times when it's uncomfortable. Some of you are terrified about adding a second Sunday service. You're saying what every person says when we go through that thing. I'm not going to see my friends. You know what? You're going to meet some new friends. Well, you're going to split the church. No. Church is going to grow in unity. We're going to we're going to worship together. We're going to hear the word. We're going to fellowship. You're going to find a small group in days to come where you can get to know some people for real and you can take the mask off. You can stop pretending that everything's fine and learn to be real. This is an awesome time, you guys, for this church. We're just we're just on the edge of something phenomenal. I'm just so excited to be a part of it. And I'm excited that you're going to be a part of it. God is building an expanding temple. What a privilege to be a part of that.